have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 17. And, you know, when I look through the congregation, I tell people all the time, you know, when, when there's certain people here, it seems like I just preach better. And uh, my friend Brett has been uh, gone for a, a couple of months because of his recovery from a surgery, and he is here today. So I am really excited about preaching better, and I wanted to say to him, thank you for being here again today. And I very rarely, if you're, uh, this is your first Sunday, uh, you're in for kind of a, a, a treat because normally when I start a series, I don't really deviate from that series. And we're in a series called You Ask For It. And for two weeks, people could kind of, with three different topics, you could kind of vote on your phone of what you would like to know what the Bible says about these three topics. And so next Sunday, we are starting on flesh versus spirit, followed by forgiveness, then our identity in Christ. So those were kind of the order in which you said you wanted to hear what the Bible says about it. But today, small groups at CityGate for 17 years has kind of been like an accessory. It's kind of like a, a per, that perfect purse that goes with a lot of the dresses or shoes. And it's like for us guys that whatever it is that we use as accessories, it's the watch, the ring, the, the bracelet, it's that thing that you just have confidence in. But today through the sermon, you're going to find out I'm going to preach a message called Everyone Needs Someone. And I want you to look at the person next to you and, and just look them right in the eyes and mean it. Say, everyone needs someone. And that's one of the reasons that we have small groups is that you in that moment where you need someone and you're going to see through scripture today where it is inevitable you're going to need somebody and that you could be a part of a group that is bigger than you. So let's pray and by the time we say amen they can stop playing we can dive right into Exodus chapter 17 and preach this message called everyone needs someone. Father today I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows your word to go forth with effectiveness. That allows you, someone to preach beyond their communication skills, but now we rest and trust in the hope of the authority of your word and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. So Father, now make those words meaningful. Allow the power of your word to open up our eyes and open up our hearts. And that Father, that we could see that you have a plan for us. And that plan is to reveal your glory to the world. And as we do that, that Father, sometimes the answer to our prayer is not what we expect. But still, you are sovereign and you know best. So I give you all praise, honor, and glory in advance for all that you do through the authority of your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. I'm actually going to preach the entire chapter. And so we, since we don't want to stay here till 3 o'clock this afternoon, I'm only going to read a, first, a few verses and then I'll preach the entire chapter. Starting at verse 8, it said, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Rephidim. I struggle with that word. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. And so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. 
and his people with the sword. And then, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Let's pray. Father, again, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows me now to honor your word, which we've just declared. And that, Father, that we move in the authority of your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we pray for something and when we pray for something we have this great need and we are praying for God to bless us with something that we may not have. And so we are praying for the blessings of God. Like if you are in a financial crisis, you are praying for God to send resources. A blessing that you don't presently have for Him to respond in a sovereign way. When we are challenged in our health, we start praying, God, heal my body. And it's a blessing that sometimes we are praying for something that we don't presently possess. We presently are sick in our body, but in the moment of faith, God can transition and transform that situation in a moment's notice, just like that. And we had that happen. I think Pastor Gray mentioned that the, uh, in, in earlier in the service. We had several miracles happen this week where we prayed for someone and literally God moved with His sovereign hand in such a way. There was a, 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 you know, a, a young lady that had uh, went to a casual dentist appointment and found out that there was a, a mass in her jaw. And we prayed. There was a lot of nervous anxiety, anxiousness over that. We prayed with the authority of Jesus' name. Not only did did, did we get a positive report about the mass, but the mass was gone. See, that's something that can happen in a moment. A blessing that you didn't previously have. But when you get blessed with a blessing, it comes now with responsibility. Sometimes the answer to your prayer brings work. And, and a lot of people don't like, like to hear that. Like that guy that was crippled at, at the uh, pool of Bethesda. He was there for 38 years. I love how Jesus really responds to him. And he says, hey man, you've been here for 38 years waiting on you, uh, an opportunity for you to be healed. And he bends down next to him and he asks him a powerful question. Do you really want this? Man, I've been crippled for 38 years. Of course I want it. No, no, no. If this happens, everything changes. You can't come back. You've got to go to work. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. 38 years, transition just like that, transform, boom. See, a lot of times when you read this chapter, Moses is a leader that has led Egypt, or, uh, Israel out of Egypt's bondage 430 years. God has used this man named Moses. He has started and God gave him a few tools like a stick. Now, this stick is, is pretty, um, you know, it, it, it comes by trial. You know, most of us, if we were in Moses' situation, I don't know if we'd have, how many of us would have sticks. Because the Bible says when he was leading sheep, I'm going to get to that in the middle of the sermon, that he had a burning bush moment and God said, throw the stick down on the ground that you have in your hand. And he threw it down, it become a snake. And then God said, pick it back up. I'd have said, whoa, I was cool with it being a stick. A snake, I don't know. Well, when he picked it up, it become a stick again. Well, that very staff is the one that he went and faced Pharaoh. He, got, uh, the, he declared the ten plagues. The plagues freed, God freed Israel from the hand of their oppressor. They go to the Red Sea. The Red Sea is there and the enemy's army is now pursuing them. And God tells him, go up and hold your stick over the water. 
and see what I'm going to do. And he held the staff over the Red Sea and the waters divided and all the children of Israel went over and the Bible says that they went over on dry ground and that's cool and that's the way I believe it. But there are some skeptics that say, nah, it really wasn't dry ground. The tide went out and it was about six inches of water. It's common in that time during that season. And they just walked through ankle deep water. Hey, I'm cool with that too. I'll preach it that way. Let's go with this. I don't know how God did it. Uh, a guy held a, st a stick over six inches of water and he drowned an entire army with horses, chariots, and all the soldiers in six inches of water. So whichever way you want to go with it, we're good that God was there. Amen? Well, now they are literally following a cloud by day, the presence of God by day, a cloud. He has manifested himself into a cloud that is taking them into a wilderness. Moses is leading them with his trusty stick, and they, he's walking behind the cloud by day and the fire by night. Can you imagine and when the sun set and that cloud burst into flames, and you're like, wow. Because there's purpose in the flame. First of all, they needed to see what they were doing, and God provided them light. And then to know the tangible presence of God is leading you out of slavery. But yet when you start dealing, you, even though you have the knowledge that God is with us, sometimes our humanity comes to the surface and when God is leading us through frustrating, uh, challenging, crisis-driven times, sometimes we begin to complain. Amen? Now I know that's not you. I know it just happens at my house. I know that me and Michelle just go, God, where are you at? Feels like you're a million miles away. We're doing your work. We're on your team. How about helping us out a little bit? I've been praying for like 17 years for just six numbers that appear every Wednesday and Saturday. I haven't got them yet. <laughs> That'd really help us out. <laughs> I'm teasing. Please, if you're here... Next thing you know, somebody's going to be emailing me. Pastor's gambling. It's all right, man. My brother helps me. He pays for the ticket one time, and I pay for it the next. God, God set us up. We're okay. That's good. I just don't care who you are. But all of a sudden they get and they get to a place where it's desert and it's, they're thirsty and they get kind of anxious and they get really frustrated with Moses and they say to Moses, why did you do this? Why did you ruin a good thing? And I'm, and I'm sure Moses is thinking the whole time, what do you mean? Slavery is a good thing? Well, at least we knew what we were doing the next day. Yeah, but dude, you've been here for 400 plus years and your children's children's children have never breathed one breath of freedom. And now God's coming on you get a little thirsty and you're complaining to me hey why don't you complain to the the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night why are you now tempting God with your frustration and your pain and he does what any good leader does he starts to pray like God they're fixing to kill me stone me listen to what it says all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and they camped at Rephidim there's that word again but there was no water for the people to drink therefore people quarreled with Moses and said give us water to drink and Moses said to them why do you quarrel with me and why do you test the Lord? But the people thirst and, and, and there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And God says, Okay, Moses, I'm going to give you your blessing. Now, nobody wanted the desert. 
Touch your neighbor and tell them, nobody wants the desert. Okay? He says, this is what I'm going to do, Moses. I want you to walk through with your trusty stick. I want you to walk through the camp of Israel. Let everybody know you're about to do something. You've got the stick in your hand. And I want you to go and I want you to gather the elders of Israel because where I'm taking you, everybody can't go. I can't get a million people into the building. But I'm going to send you to a rock and they're going to come back and tell everybody what happened. But you tell them while you're walking through, God's fixing to solve our thirst problem. And then I want you to take this stick, walk up to a rock, and I want you to hit that rock with that stick. And I'm going to cause water to come out of it. He did exactly what God said to do. He walks through Israel carrying the stick, said God's about to quench your thirst problem. He gathers the elders of Israel, walks up to the rock God said, hits the rock, water comes out. Now it's enough water. Now in your mind, in your imagination, it's that little fish fountain that's spitting water out of its mouth. No ma'am, no sir. This is, they've got to quench the thirst of a million people plus the animals. It was a gushing flow of water that caused the desert to turn into an oasis. All of a sudden now the blessing had come and what used to be dry and thirsty areas of their life now is being fulfilled and the thirst is being quenched by an oasis of water. Nobody wanted the desert but the moment that the blessing comes an enemy shows up because blessing comes with responsibility. All of a sudden now, somebody wants their blessing. Nobody wanted it when it was dirt, but now... And, and I'm sure they did see this, this little nomadic tribe called the Amaleks. They wanted to see the resolve of the nation of Israel, so they attacked them from the rear, where mostly the young and the elderly were occupying because they were falling behind. And it made Moses mad. And Moses decides he's going to tell God about it. And how many times have we ever been mad with the situations in our life and we tell God like he doesn't know? Like, okay, God, they're attacking me and they're coming up there and they're, they're getting the people that, that really can't defend themselves. Now do your thing. And he starts a principle that changes the history of Israel and starts to build a reputation of the men of God. All of a sudden, God says, um, by the way, I'm not fighting for you on this one. Every other enemy that had come throughout the wilderness experience, God had defended himself. But this time, he says, I'm not doing it that way. I'm going to enable you to fight. I'm not fighting for you, but I will fight with you. Get your sticks, stones, and pitchforks, and what little bit of swords and shields that you've accumulated, and meet me on the battlefield. We don't like that. Anytime that that happens, we want God to go back to what He has done previously in our lives by doing it for us. But God knows that there's a principle that is beyond just His sovereign hand. See, a lot of times in my life, I've been in church all of my life. My parents were in the ministry. I've been in church all of my life. And don't go, don't say pastor's a heretic until you hear me out. But I've heard this statement, and it is true the majority of the time, but it is not true all the time. One man and God is a majority. That's great sermon stuff, and everybody claps. But you know what? Sometimes God wants to use more than you and Him. It's in Scripture. 
like where two or three gather in my name? Well, if one man in God's a majority, he'd gather with you where you're alone. Well, well, pastor, that's just one. You're cherry picking scripture. How about where two or three gather and, and uh, commit their faith to any one thing? They join their faith together. God's scripture is continually giving us examples of partnership. One could put a thousand to fight, but two, ten thousand. Oh, now we got principle happening here. And God's about to teach them a principle right here where, hey, I, I, first of all, you say, well, pastor, prove to me that that statement is true. How many of you in this place will say by firm faith that God is undefeated in every battle he has ever fought? Say amen. amen. Again, is he undefeated? Amen. Yeah, are you? Oh, whoa. No, man, I've won some, lost some. Well, I thought God was undefeated. Maybe you missed something about the principle that you wanted God to continue doing it for you. See, God's won every battle against the devil, but he would want to enable you to learn what victory is like for yourself, not just we are to be dependent on God. He is the one that enables us. But isn't it nice when God allows you to cross the goal line for the touchdown of life? And you get to dance a little bit and shout like Lacey was trying to get us there today by saying how great God is. She was spiking that spiritual football saying, God got me over the end zone line. Let's celebrate. Well, he says, I'm not fighting for you. It's like an, uh, Moses is accustomed to this. See, Moses writes a, a scripture in Deuteronomy. It says, God is like an eagle that stirs the nest. Anybody know about eagles? We got any eagle fans in? Not, uh, well, if you are an eagle fan, we'll pray. <laughs> I'm talking about the bird, the eagle. You know, are any of you those people that gather up in North Fort Myers with your cameras and everything and you're taking pictures of the nest and the eagle comes flying in? Anybody? Hey, yeah, oh, we got a couple. Say, so, yeah, I've taken a picture of that before. Well, let me tell you a little bit of something about an eagle. See, an eagle makes this giant nest. You know what they make it out of? Thorns. And then they put soft stuff inside of it so it can be livable. And so then Mama Eagle meets with Daddy Eagle and they do the eagle thing and, they, and then Mama Eagle lays eggs in the eagle nest. Now, in the position of the egg portion of the eaglet's life, it needs 24-hour care. An eagle cannot not sit on an egg or it dies. So that means when daddy's out hunting, mama's got to be sitting. When daddy comes back with a little bit of food, mama goes out to look for more food and he has to sit. And then all of a sudden the eagle hatches. And the eagle don't know anything other than to open its little beak. And every time it squeaks, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Mila Rose. You know, when she comes to Papa's house, she believes that if she cries, she gets whatever she wants. And up until this point in time in her life, that is absolutely true. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> But that little eagle is just squeaking and it's like the children of Israel and it's like most of our lives. Sometimes we just are asking God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Open my beak and just put it in. But God says, you know what? You were created to do more than just eat. You were created to be an eagle yourself and to fly. And so Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses says, that's when the eagle stirs the nest. You know what stir the nest means? Take all the soft spots out. 
And so now they don't come with food every time the baby chirps. Now that they're not listening, they're not cooperating. That's what's happening in Mila Rose's life right now with mom and daddy, not papa, not Mimi. But they're saying no, no, no to the pacifier. And she thinks it's very rude. <laughs> Just like us when God says to us, I, I'm, I'm taking that pacifier away. And they don't show up as often. And every time they do show up with a little bit to eat, they take more soft stuff out and they stir the nest. Till where everywhere that little eaglet is sitting is on a thorn. And they're like, I got to get out of here. And, they, and that's the point. Because you can't learn you're an eagle until you spread your wings and you finally get the courage to step out the other side of this nest. See, Moses was accomplished at that because for 40 years he had the privilege of being the prince of Egypt. But with the robes, the rings, the bracelets and all the things that went on into that identity. And some of you feel like you don't fit in. That's Moses too. He's not Hebrew enough to be Hebrew and he's not Egyptian enough to be the Egyptians. He's somewhere in between. He's that misfit that God's going to use. So if you consider yourself somewhat of a misfit you're right in line for a stick so all of a sudden God says I'm not fighting anymore for you I'll fight with you and Moses looks through all of the camp of Israel and gets to one trusted young man he has no reputation he's not his sidekick he's not been in the tabernacle all he is is a young man with potential His name for the first time in all scripture, you get the name Joshua. He's not marching around Jericho. He's just a wide-eyed kid that believes anything that Moses says, especially if he's got the stick in his hand. He said, God told me we're going to fight tomorrow. Go get everybody that you think can fight, and you meet me on the battlefield in the morning. Now, Israel has no standing army. So, I mean, there's some big guys in our congregation. Anybody ever seen Jeremiah? You know, he has to work on some Sundays. You know, big dude. Jake, stand up for a second. Stand up. You a big guy. Look at that guy right back there. Look at him. Come on up here. Let him, let him see you. You're going to sit. I need you to sit right here. I'm, you're going to be. I mean, look at this guy. He's got a few muscles. I mean, now, if there's a robber in your house, who do you want? <laughs> you know. It's all right, but it's the truth. Yeah. I'll, I'll belly him. I'll belly him in it. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Sit down. I'm going to have to pray for you in a minute. <laughs> Doing your pastor that way. <laughs> it's true, but we, we didn't have to bring that in the sermon. <laughs> but, man, if you're Joshua, you're not looking for the big dude. You're looking for anybody. We have no army. You're like, you, 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 and you, and you, and you. I know you're old, but you, 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 and you. I know you're, you're tall. I need tall ones. I, you're short. I need short ones. And, and you find out that everybody is somebody that he needed. And now he's got them convinced. They got sticks, and they got sharp objects. They got a few rocks. They got a few swords. And he's looking at them and said, God said he's going to do something in us tomorrow. He's not going to do it for us anymore. It's time. I mean, I don't know what this dude did, but 
but he should give every pregame speech. I mean, what did he say? Hey, I don't care how old you are, how tall you are, how short you are. I don't care how fast you are, how slow. You are. It doesn't really matter. Can you jump? You can't jump. It doesn't matter. God's with us. So what we're going to do is he's not going to do it for us anymore. He's going to now enable us to accept victory for ourselves and maintain the blessing that he gave us in the water. Now, everybody put their hand in there. Everybody, all right, ready? One, two, three, praise the Lord. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Let's go. And they're like, ready. And Moses shows up and says, all right, guys, here we go. This is how we're going to do it. Joshua, you go do your thing on the battlefield. I'm going to go up on the hill with my stick. And I got Aaron and her with me. It's the first time you get to mention her. And I got them with me. And we're going to go up there on the hill. And we're going to be the faith part. I'm going up there to pray because we ain't never fought before. I think we need a little prayer. You guys are the works. You're going to be the action. I'm praying and God striking them with lightning ain't going to happen today. He's going to strike them with you. So they get, they get separated. You know, you're on the battlefield. Now I'm up here on, on the mountain. And every commentator, it doesn't matter if it's modern or, or those of old, every 99.9% of all commentators believe that Moses was up on the mountain praying. He said it was customary, they say it was customary for the men of Israel to pray with their hands raised. But this time he has a stick in his hand because that's the stick that tells them that God is with us. It's the testimony, the staff. And all of a sudden, this great man encourages with the young man down on the battlefield. They rush the battlefield and Moses is praying his heart out, his guts out. He's saying, God, give us the victory <clears throat> enable the men of Israel to do what you told them that they can do. And you know what? As long as his hands were like this, they won. But then the frailty of his humanity showed up. How long do you think you could hold your arms up like this? I'll tell you, not long. Maybe you're strong like Jake. You can hold it for 10 minutes. You know what? Unfortunately, the battle's going to last longer than 10 minutes. And now the stick that's light at the beginning becomes heavy. And you see the stick start to change positions. And your fatigue starts to set in. And you start to lower it. Then you take a break. The problem with taking a break is every time you take a break, the enemy advances. So, so everybody can see me. So we're going to try to go that way. And when... Moses' hands up, we're fighting this way and we're winning. When his hands go down, we're losing and we're going this way. The problem is, is there's, there's people. This was a battle. Now think about the responsibility of leadership when you hear this statement. When Moses got tired, the people that he loved died. That's what happens on a battlefield when you lose. So now you realize, man, that was my cousin. That was my best friend from a long time ago. Holy smokes, I, I, I know those guys. And so when, when the reality, his hands go back up. But then the reality of, once again, he's only human. But he's a prophet, I know. He's anointed, I know. But even great men, anointed men, prophets, have weaknesses. his arms come down. Now God could have just strengthened him to hold his arms up. But he thought it would be more beneficial to him 
to learn the lesson that he can't do everything by himself. Amy, if you'll get ready to play me something. Thank you, Jake, for helping me. I'm going to need you to slide over one seat after you unhook that seat that you're on. And JJ, if you and Matt will come back up here and bring that seat with you. They helped me in first service. I don't want to kick them off the team, Jake, because of what you did to me. So. <laughs> I know you did it out of love, and I'm going on a diet tomorrow. <laughs> Can you imagine the weight of responsibility on Moses that all he had to do was hold a stick in the air but found out he couldn't. Try it again. And he couldn't. And he would try it again. And he couldn't. Until finally one of these guys back here said Moses I don't think God put us up here on this hill to watch you pray I see a rock over here and will you be humble enough to sit on it and realize you can't do it all and so they brought him up a rock you know how hard it is as a pastor to enjoy the moments where God enables you to be Superman but then to realize that you come to the discovery you're not Superman at all that he is and you operate in the frailty of your own humanity and so these guys say hey man just sit down And they sit down, they finally Moses sits down. And they said, put the stick up. I can't. I'm tired. Put it up, it's going to be different this time. And he has the courage to lift it up one more time. And when he does, they put their arms on his. <clears throat> Now I can do this for a while. The Bible says he did it until the going down of the sun. And that was the faith that God was needing up on the mountain in prayer to enable and equip the men with Joshua to continue fighting the fight. And they were experiencing the victory of the battle on the field because there was a partnership between faith and works. Moses was coming to it. He was going to change the way he led in the next chapter. He was going to divide the leadership up to good men that could lead because God teaches him a powerful example right here in chapter 17 that he couldn't hold his arms up alone. Thank you guys. Why do you need a small group? Why do you need to sign up for something? Well, pastor, I don't need that. You may be right, but I do. See, the question is, not. there's two questions. Who's holding your arms up when you get weak? 
Well, Pastor, I didn't, I, my life I'm self-sustaining. I don't really need a lot of friends. I don't need a lot of interaction. I don't need a lot of the stuff. I'm already busy. Yeah, man. Well, that may be true for the majority of your life, but you're going to eventually face a battle according to Scripture that you can't win by yourself. And more importantly, not just who's holding your arms up, but whose arms are you holding up? See, the importance is maybe not you coming every Sunday to service because God's really not checking you in and clocking you in and clocking you out because you got to service. But you know what? When you're here, it encourages me. And I think what we're doing is worthwhile. And, and I, I understand that the pain's worth the purpose. And, and so you are a part of holding my arms up. And when you're not here, my arms go down. See, I can't do this. After 17 years, I found out I can't do it by myself. And neither can you. Well, Pastor, I, I, I don't know about bowling. Maybe, maybe it isn't about you bowling. Maybe it's about you being in the bowling alley when somebody else needs you to hold their arms up. Whose arms are you holding up? And who's holding yours?